Oh, I hope everybody had a good week. I struggled this week. I was sick. Um, I was sick last Sunday. I'd just gotten home from Ohio. I don't know if it was some sort of allergies between the two states or what. Non-COVID, but man, I was locked up chest-wise, and, and I, was, I was stuffy and coughing, and then the coughing got really bad. And this week was like a roller coaster. Like, I would get better, and I'd be like, I am here. I'm done. This is great. And then it would only be a couple of hours later, and I'd be feeling like, oh, my goodness, if I cough anymore, I felt like I was going to black out a couple of times. And it was seriously this roller coaster. So then as I was preparing the sermon this week, I started thinking about roller coasters. How many of you guys like roller coasters? Awesome. How many of you would say you liked roller coasters when you were younger, but now you have to kind of give a second thought about going on them? Okay, right. You got to kind of count the cost, right? I remember I used to be able to ride every roller coaster. Um, I, I loved it. I, we, we've kind of been a Disney family, so we loved going to Disneyland, and I loved the, uh, the California Screaming, which now they call Incredicoaster, right? And, and um, unfortunately, about 10, 12 years ago, my stomach started changing. And, and so I would still go on it, but, like, there was a cost, yeah, and I knew if I went on the roller coaster, I was going to be kind of queasy for a few hours and not really feel like going on any rides. I tried eating before. I tried eating after, going on an empty stomach. You know, I mean, I tried it all. Uh, and, and yet there's just a part of those rides that kind of get me a little bit queasy. And I was happy to see a couple hands go up when I talked about that. Because when I was younger, man, I would get on those things and I would go time after time. Uh, and, and yet something in my body changed. Uh, I won't tell you about my most embarrassing times on real roller coasters. We'll save that for another time. But California Screaming, now the Incredicoaster, it is so much fun to go on. My kids love it. And, and, and like, there are times where I have to just pass. And it was a lot of fun going when my daughter-in-law was pregnant because I was like, I'll, I'll hang out with Anna. I'll spend time with Anna while you guys go get in line. And we would go and get a churro or whatever, and then we would go doing some shopping for the baby that was coming, whatever it was, right? But I wanted to go on the roller coaster, but I knew that like it was going to make me feel a little off for a few hours. And so you kind of had to count the cost. Well, that's today. I mean, it's crazy because I was seriously on this roller coaster all week being sick, thinking about roller coasters. And then I was looking at this passage in first Samuel chapter eight, and, and God is going to give this warning really to Israel. Samuel is going to give this warning to Israel that if they go forward with what they want outside of God's plan, there's going to be a cost. And that they need to count the cost or consider the cost. And so my sickness, the roller coasters that I love so much but don't necessarily love me anymore. And First Samuel chapter 8, we need to be a people who consider the cost. And today we get to look at a really cool uh, story that's kind of going to propel us into the rest of First and Second Samuel. And that is First Samuel chapter 8. So if you got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open to First Samuel chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the words up on the screen. I think there was one left on the grab a Bible table, but we got more ordered. So if you need a Bible... Go ahead and hop back there, grab that, make that yours, and then we should get some in in the next week or so. Uh, so we'll have plenty more back there. But uh, it's going to be interesting looking at this story as the children of Israel continue to clamor for a king like the rest of the world around them. 
And, and yet Samuel's saying, you already have a king. You already have God leading you, a theocracy. This is not what God intends, and yet the people persist. So let's dive in and start reading here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now let's pause there just for a quick second. A lot of ink has been spilled on these few verses uh, because it reminds us a little bit of Eli, the priest that Samuel replaced. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And remember all, if you've been with us through this, this early part of the, the study through First and Second Samuel, you'll remember that Hophni and Phinehas were bad dudes, right? They did what they wanted. Uh, they took what they wanted. They stole from the Lord. They literally would go and take uh, sacrifices from people and take the best of it to eat. And then they would sacrifice what was left. If somebody said, no, I'm not going to give it to you because I know about what you do. They would take it by force. Uh, and then there was sexual sin involved. These these boys were way off. And unfortunately, we saw that Eli, he had some flashes of being a good uh, priest, but he also had a lot of flashes of, of not being a good priest. And he went along with his sons. He didn't correct them, and he actually joined in with them. And if you'll remember, when Eli died, the, uh, the writer of the book actually made a, a point to let you know that he had grown rather large. Uh, by eating all this good food that they were stealing from God, and that when he fell, he broke his neck. Uh, and, and he was this big guy, and, and it was just, it, that whole family was out of control. And so here we see Samuel, who we know it at the end of chapter 7, has had a long period of really godly leadership. This guy was doing it right. And we know that a lot of time has passed from the end of 1 Samuel chapter 7 into chapter 8 here. And that these were all really great years. Israel was, was doing the right thing. They had the right kind of leadership. But here we see towards the end of Samuel's life, we see that his sons are not walking in the same way that he did. And, and so now the sons were... Not as bad as Eli's sons because Eli was raising his two sons to take over. Uh, and, and that would have been priests of all of Israel. And, and yet we know that Samuel, whether he knew about what his sons were doing or had an idea, kind of placed them in, a, in just a small little town, Beersheba. He, they didn't have the national influence like Samuel did. Uh, remember a couple weeks ago we saw that Samuel would almost go on like a, a circuit he would go from town to town doing his priestly duties and judging. And so they were limited, but they still were not walking in the way. And the children of Israel saw that. They knew about them taking bribes, perverting justice, and this was a problem. So even though Samuel didn't join them like Eli joined Hopney and Phineas, the sons were still a problem. And so... After years and years of prosperity, 
peace, following after God under Samuel, Israel now says, we want something different. They're going to risk it all uh, for their desires. And they wanted a king instead of allowing God to continue to rule over them through the judges, through the priests. And, and so again, we, we see that Israel uh, is going to, they're going to go into this season of sin and despair if they continue to follow their desires over what God wants them to do. So Samuel is, is, is perplexed here. And, and we'll see here in the rest of the story as it continues how it all plays out. Because the elders of Israel are going to come and talk to Samuel. It says, then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons don't walk in your way. Okay, they've pointed out the obvious, but they're pointing it out for a specific reason. They have a narrative that they've already been pushing and they're going to continue to push this idea of a king. Behold, you are old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint to us a king to judge like all the nations. But the thing, this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So even all the way back to chapter one, we see Samuel living as this godly young man through his ruling as a priest and judge, seeking the Lord. And here at the end of these few verses, we see that Samuel sought the Lord. Now we should, as, as readers and kind of understanding God's plan, what's been going on, and of course what happens, kind of knowing the scriptures, we should see a lot of problems with this, right? I mean, this solution that the the elders had was not where they should have gone. First of all, the elders uh, of Israel see a spiritual problem, a lack of godly leadership potentially taking over for Samuel. They've enjoyed the leadership under Samuel, but they see his sons coming up. So they decide to confront this problem with a political one and an agenda that they already had. Give us a king. That's what we want. So we are saying to you, Samuel, give us a king to replace you. You're getting old and your sons are not the answer. Now, the elders should have been more wise than this. They've been seeing the influence of God through Samuel on their people. And remember, they were in a time of peace and Israel had been in, in conflict after conflict. The last conflict that they wrote, that the, the author highlighted was all this engagement with the Philistines, the Ark of the Covenant. They had gotten their land back from the Philistines. The Philistines didn't want to have anything to do with them. They were in this time of peace under Samuel's leadership. And yet, there was still in the back of their minds this desire to have a king. They knew what they wanted, even though it was against what God had planned for them. They were trying to solve a spiritual problem with a political solution. Even if it were to work, if they were to put a king in charge and the king were to be able to, to, to lead them and, and protect them, it would not have accomplished anything for their eternal significance, which is why a priest existed, to help the children of Israel in their relationship with creator God. Now, another problem we should point out is, is that they met together and decided a plan, 
We see that in those first couple of verses. The, the, the elders met together, and they come up, come up with an idea that they bring to Samuel. Now, there's no mention here, and I think that there would be if this had happened. There's no mention of them bringing this problem that they saw, Samuel's sons, and potentially them being the next leaders, before the Lord in prayer. Right? And yet we see Samuel was marked by prayer all throughout these first eight chapters. Samuel went to the Lord in prayer a ton. And yet here, the elders, the leaders of Israel, come up with a solution on their own. Right? There's no mention of going before the Lord. And, and James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom... He should ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and it'll be given to him. And I, 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 just, I, I know that's a New Testament verse, but the principle is the same. These Old Testament people knew that they should go to the Lord. Samuel had led them, giving them a clear example of someone who went to the Lord. When there was something that he wasn't sure of, he would go to the Lord in prayer. God is the source of wisdom. And, and the elders did not see that because they were blinded by their own ambition. What is my first response? Mark Miller sitting here in DuPont, Washington all week long. What is my first response when I'm faced with a problem? That's kind of where my heart went this week as I was sitting there behind my desk thinking about this passage. Is my first thought to go to the Lord in prayer or do I try to fix it on my own? And I'm going to be honest with you guys, there was conviction. Because a lot of times I just, here's a problem, here's what a solution should be, right? And, and I need to be a person who goes before the Lord more often and asking him for wisdom and for guidance. Because a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, okay, here's a problem, here's a couple different solutions. And a lot of times those solutions are not from God per se, they're from the world, well, the world says, if you need this, if you have this problem, this is one way you could deal with it, and this is another. And we take the world's advice, and we pick what we think is best, and we move forward. And yet, we have a God who desires this relationship with us. He wants us to pray. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that the Holy Spirit, God himself, indwells the believer, right? And will guide you. We just need to go and seek his face. And yet a lot of times we don't. Now, as I was thinking about how does this affect all of us, I thought, man, we need to be helping each other out in this. How often are you praying for other people? Your friends here that are sitting next to you. People that you hang out with at community group or maybe you see outside of here, uh, you know, for dinner or going to their house, play dates, whatever it might be. How often are you discussing prayer? Are you talking about praying? Are you asking them, can I pray for you in any particular way? Or going to them and saying, hey, I got a problem in my life. Will you pray for me? Again, I believe that we need to be people who do that. We need to be people who are marked by prayer. When your spouse comes to you with a problem, when your best friend or your child come to you with a problem. And again, this is, you kind of are, are, are taking this uh, advice in light of other believers. So it, it's a little bit harder. It doesn't mean you can't offer to pray for somebody who's not a believer. But when you're talking a believer to believer, is your first response when a, pl- a problem arises to go before the Lord in prayer. 
And if it's not, maybe Holy Spirit will challenge you this week like he has me and said, hey, have you prayed about this yet before I make a decision or before you make a decision? Can I pray with you about this and see where the Lord leads you? I know there may be some of you out there this morning that may say, that'll make me sound kind of super spiritual or even hypocritical. A lot of times my family knows me best. And if I talk about, you know, the need to, to pray about something, they may want to pull up all the things that I've done wrong uh, or how I failed in the past, failed to do that. And yet I would say we've got to get to the place where we move forward in the wisdom that we see in Scripture and God's desire in our hearts and in our lives, no matter what our past looked like. We need to be helping each other out. So let's become a people who are praying for each other. Not just saying, hey, I'll pray for you, but actually doing it, following up with people, and then spending time before the Lord praying. And if you need prayer, you can always get a hold of myself or Pastor Dave, your community group, or other friends that you might meet here. And we need to be a people who continue to believe in the power of prayer in our lives, no matter how small or how big the problem might be. Now, Samuel, like I said, was a great example of this. He was displeased at this request. Look, it says he wasn't happy about that. This matter was evil in his eyes. The, the children of Israel, the people wanted a king, and he knew that wasn't God's plan. So what did he do? Samuel prayed to the Lord. Again, Samuel continues to give us this incredible example. There are a lot of reasons that this was a horrible plan. Samuel could have just fought and said, hey, here's the wisdom behind this. You know, no, no, no. But instead, he went to the Lord. If you think about it, Israel was not like all the nations. And that's what they came and said, we want to be like all the nations. And yet they're, they're, they're not. This is a sinful desire. Because they were trying to fit in with the world around them. Oh, man. Okay. How are we as Christians now trying to fit in with the world around us? Right? Do we stand up for what we believe? Do we know or we do we do what we know is right? Are we willing to say no to things because we know that they're wrong? Or do we try to fit in with what's going on? That's what we see Israel doing here. Everybody else has a king. We want one too. Give us a king. The second reason I see there, first reason was trying to fit in. The second reason is that they were a theocracy. Right? They were the only ones. They were a country, a people that was literally ruled by God. God was their king, and God would always judge justly, right? Because men are flawed. The best king you put in place, and we're going to see this story after story after story, the best men you try to put in there are still going to fail, right? And they had God who would never let them down, unlike humans. So beware of putting your hope in humans, right? For us as believers, we, we are called to be submissive to our government and to, to uh, uh, pray for leadership, even those we don't agree with. We see that throughout uh, the New Testament. Um, and yet, and yet, we can't become a people who put our hope only in a human government. We, we need to keep our faith and our trust in God. And here we see Israel saying, no, we want a man sitting on the throne. We're going to find out later that one of the reasons they wanted a king was to fight their battles, 
right? Those are the words that they're going to use, right? They want somebody to be there going ahead of them, going behind them, uh, and, and, and all around them, right? That leadership. And yet we know if we've read from the beginning of, of the book here uh, or of the Bible, I should say that God had said, I will be your king. I will go before you. And no man will ever do that like God could. So as we look at this story, we need to remember for ourselves to beware putting your trust in anything other than God. Now, I should say that there is a passage in Deuteronomy 17. If you're taking notes, jot that down. We're not necessarily going to bounce over there right now. But in Deuteronomy 17, there was a prophecy about this event, that there would be a king in Israel. So this did not surprise God. In fact, it even outlines what a king should do what a king should look like when this occurs. So there are some people that may take that prophecy and argue that this wasn't a bad request at all because Deuteronomy now makes these concessions for a king in this event. And yet, all my prayer this week, all my studying this week, all my reading of scholars that I highly respect, I would humbly disagree. I believe that God, who's not limited by time, was simply predicting what was going to happen, but he wasn't necessarily endorsing it. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't saying, this is your best for you. I also believe that Jesus was the true king for Israel, right? Jesus was the plan. And Israel should have waited for God's promise, right? His son. If you demand that God meets your desires in your timing, he might just give you what you're asking for. And then you'll learn from it. You'll learn through it. Like the children of Israel are going to do by demanding this king. Because sometimes God allows us the desires of our hearts, even if it's not what's best for us, so that we can learn through those times. So let's examine the conversation that Samuel had with God in these next few verses. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me. And serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. We're going to pause really quick in this conversation that they're having. God's response was likely shocking to Samuel. I'm guessing Samuel thought God would be on his side and, and would, 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 man, bring it down on the people. And they would continue to move forward with God's plan for them. And yet, God says, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For, very important here. He wants to make sure that Samuel understands, you did not fail. This is not your fault. For they have not rejected you, God says. But they have rejected me from being king over them. And this reveals a couple of things. God saw hurt in Samuel's heart. 
God sees the hurt in your heart. We've talked about that before and we'll continue to. God knows where you're at. You can't hide it with a smile, right? And he wants to be a part of that pain and a part of that process. And here we see God seeing the hurt of Samuel. He knew that Samuel was taking this personally. Under Samuel's, Samuel's watch, yes, at the end of his life, but at the, still under his watch, the children of Israel were heading off into sin. Israel was actually committing a far more egregious sin than we might even understand. They were attempting to opt out of their covenant with God. Again, you got to go back in the scriptures and read about the covenant that God had laid out with his people, and they're trying to get out of it by having a human king. So, if we think about those two things, let's first look at Samuel was hurt. He felt personal rejection in this. He was leading, and he was doing well, and there was prosperity under him. They had regained land. There was no wars. And yet, even at the end of his life, the the people wanted something different. He was hurt. He felt the rejection. And I get that, and I bet you do too. There are times in your lives when you have felt rejected. There are times in in, in your lives that you're going to be rejected because we speak God's word. There are times that we're going to be rejected because we stand up for God's standards And speak the truth. There are times God's people are rejected simply because they're God's people. And if you haven't felt those types of rejections, you may need to look at your personal walk with God and ask why it's so hidden. Because just like our Savior was despised and rejected, so ought his followers be. Not so fun fact, if you believe God's word to be true and give your life completely over to him, that rejection is what's promised by Jesus. And probably not just once in your life, but many times, and it does hurt. But there's even a less fun fact. The most painful examples of this will be when you speak the truth to other believers, who are in sin, and they still reject you. There are times as a pastor where I have to bring a tough word to a believer. They're living in sin. They're choosing to do something they know they shouldn't be doing, and yet they reject God. They reject the words that I'm speaking, so they're rejecting me, and they say, I'm going to continue to live In this sin, I'm choosing this over my relationship with God. And then sometimes the person who bears the news, that brings the word, that is encouraging them to walk away from their sin, is insulted or demeaned or slandered. When all that I've done or you may have done as a brother and sister in Christ is obediently confronted the sin. And it's really hard because we preach grace here at the Grace Works. Jesus Christ lavishes his grace, his mercy upon us, but he desires change from us. 
And so as a, as a pastor, and I hope for you as, as people who are living in that grace, when you extend that and encourage people to walk away from a life of sin and they don't do that, that can be very difficult because you're trying to be humble. You're trying to be loving. You're trying to be gracious. And yet rejection still comes. What God wants you and I to understand is crucial. As much as it hurts, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God and his wisdom. Yeah, they're rejecting me as a spokesperson. And and that can be difficult. Especially if you think it's going to be received in love and received in, in repentance. And it's not. And yet the reality is they're, they're really rebelling against, they're rejecting God and his nature. This is the second thing we should note. Israel is rejecting their covenant with God. I kind of alluded to that earlier. And think of how much that would hurt God. He has been faithful to them. They rebel. They're sinful. God stays, sticks around. Yeah, they may have to learn a tough lesson, but he's there for them. And the prosperity that they felt under Samuel was because God was lavishing that upon them, his grace and his mercy. And yet, what do the people want? They want a king. And yet he says, hey, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I'm your king. I am going to lead. I'm going to go before. I'm going to go behind. And yet they want someone else. The rejection is not just of you but it's of God and his word. As God explains in verse eight, though, this is par for the course. Time after time, Israel has forsaken him and served other gods, and now they're also forsaking Samuel, right? So they are also doing to you, is what God says to Samuel. So God says, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, I loved it when I read it in the literal translation uh, 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 there at the, at the end there, this idea of warning, you shall warn them, this solemnly warning them, right? This is, this is something that God is taking very seriously. And he's saying to, to Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want. Tell them they can have what they want, but I have a warning for them. And that's where we go next. In this passage. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and and equipment of his shares. I'm going to pause really quick just here before we keep going on the next slide. Samuel told all the words, right? So everything that was said by God, Samuel told these words to the people. This was a long conversation that he had with God. There were a lot of things. There are a lot of things we're going to read here in these next few verses and that we already have read. But, but Samuel took his job very serious. He heard from God and he spoke to the elders. He spoke to the people. He told them that they were indeed rejecting God as their king and that their track record of rejection was long. This wasn't anything new to God. He's seen it before. And that's why the author records these verses. 
So this solemn warning back in verse 9, God wanted Samuel to, to, to give them everything. Everything I tell you, I want them to, to tell them. Having a king like that of other nations will entail these things. So let's finish the warning here, which is one of the longest speeches that Samuel has. It's recorded uh, of him saying in the Bible. He's already started what the cost will be. Remember when we were talking at the beginning about considering the cost? Here's Israel saying, we want a king. And God's saying, not only are you rejecting Samuel, but you're rejecting my way. You're rejecting me, and you can have it. But here's going to be the cost. They still could have backed out after this, but we'll get to that in a minute. So here we go. We've already talked about the young men, right? They're going to take your sons. If you have a king, he's going to take your sons, right? And he keeps going on reading. off there for a second. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God covered it all. Their sons, their daughters, their servants, their land, their possessions, everything that will be taken by a king so that the king can rule the way that he wants to. Israel needs to consider the cost. What is this really going to cost us to walk away from the Lord's best in our lives? And if I'm honest with you, that's the same way it is with you and I in any sin that we might have. As we're walking along as believers, temptation comes into our life. There's a sin ahead of us, and that sin can rear its ugly heads in many forms. But there are going to be times in your life, if it hasn't already happened, and probably even happened this week, where you're going to say to yourself, I know I shouldn't do this, but I want to. I know I shouldn't do this. There could be a consequence. Now I have a decision to make. Right? And so you need to consider the cost. You need to count the cost. You can do those things, but you need to understand that there is a cost involved. Right? If you do choose to go down the path of sin, there will be consequence. And God is warning the Israelites to count their cost. Up until now, they've had God as their king and as their military commander. God has limitless resources, right? He doesn't need government. He doesn't need a king and all the things that will go involve, be involved in that to sustain Israel. He was already doing it. The cost of a king, like the other nations, is huge. And that's what God says to Samuel and says, please tell Israel everything. This is going to be costly. Family members, taxes, and like I said, just part of their land and everything they produce. This is going to be a burden to them. As 
Samuel brings this word to the people. They have a lot to consider, but they know where they're heading. Their hearts are set. They know that a king will need men to fight their battles and women to perfume him or whatever that is, right? They're going to need bakers and they're going to need cooks. They're going to need taxes. They're going to need land. They're going to need the vineyards, right? All of these things, the cost is laid out before them. And yet they say, we want a king. You will be slaves to him is what God says in verse 17. And yet they say, that's what we want. When they realize that they're slaves, God says that they're going to cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. You've, you've heard from me, right? God says, you've heard from me. I am giving you my word. This is how you're going to feel, and this is what you're going to do. And yet all you think about is you, yourself, what you desire. And God says, I'll give you what you're asking for, but it's on you. Last couple verses in this section. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So sadly, we see here that the minds, the hearts of the people are set on one thing. God's warning to them doesn't do any good because they desire a king. They want to be like all the other nations. It reveals these impure motives in their hearts. I can't help but think if, if, if they were reading this in a history book, like we are today, the, the Bible has so much history in it, that they, they would see how ridiculous this was to choose this, to go down this path. I mean, who would you rather have go before you, right? And fight your battles, a human king or the king of kings and the Lord of lords? It's one of those things where you, you're trying to get through to somebody. You're trying to give them wisdom, whether it's a family member, maybe it's one of your children, maybe it's a good friend, and they just won't listen to you. And you want to just like grab them and draw them in close, face to face, and, and say, listen. And I'm sure that's how Samuel was feeling here. How can you as a people be so blind to the goodness and the faithfulness of God? And yet as I read this and I studied this and I thought about this this week, I had to be honest with myself again and say, I know God's good, uh, uh, good will for me, his plan for me. And yet there are times when I choose to not do what he has called me to do. Sometimes I want to go opposite of what God has called me to do. I know what I have been called to do by reading God's word and yet Sometimes uh, my desires are to not do what he has called me to do because it's easier. Sometimes I just feel lazy and I don't want to do that. There are times when, when we as, as people are convinced that our way is better than God's way. 
And we're guilty of the same sin that Israel has committed. Now, it's kind of funny. We t- we've talked about in the last few weeks the, the idea of Israel's ups and downs, their roller coaster ride with God. And I was just thinking about that as, as I was putting together the final few notes on this uh, and my idea for that illustration at the beginning. The highs are high and they're fun and they feel great. And yet the lows are really, really low. And, and we've seen this in Israel's life and, and sin, right? We've talked about Israel, the highs and the lows, right? Sin is the same way in our lives. It's a roller coaster. The cost is high and yet the ride is very short and will always leave you disappointed. We need to be a people who come before the Lord and say, forgive us. Help us to be a people who walk in your way. Help us not to be, to be uh, blinded by our own ambition and our own desires. Help us not to be short-sighted what I want right now, but we need to be a people who look for what God wants us to go after for our lives so that we can be people who are marked by God. Verse 21 says that Samuel heard all the words of the people and then repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Not that the Lord needed Samuel to tell him. He heard it too. But Samuel needed to talk to God. Again, we've seen this throughout this book. Samuel continues to go to the Lord in prayer. To tell him everything that he had heard. And, 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 he, and then listen to what God has to say. We should be encouraged by Samuel to be a people of prayer. We see it all the way to the end of this story. And then God answers him. God answers Samuel and says, this is what you're to do. Go tell every man to go back to their city. And next week we're going to be introduced to, to the, the idea of kings of Israel, Right? This will be the second king of Israel, though, unfortunately, their first human king, and yet God was their first king. And so we'll learn that. We'll start seeing that next week and seeing how this plays out in Israel. We need to be a people who consider the cost. You and I, when we make a decision, do we consider the cost? Do we pray about it? Do we compare it to God's word and his wisdom that he's already given us? We need to be a people who doesn't desire to be like the world. We need to go the opposite way. The world says you can do whatever you want to. You can be your own boss. And yet I think you and I need to be even more resolute in the idea that we need God as our king. We need someone to tell us how to live. And that's God. And we also need to be a people who place our faith in God and trust him that he will fight our battles. There's nothing in this world that you can give up God for to make your life easier or better. So let's be a people who continues to see God as our king and to see a God who will fight our battles.